Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello legends and welcome back to the Top Edge podcast for another week. I believe it's episode 12 and once again Callum is here with all of us to uh, break down I think what's going to be a controversial episode. Hopefully not controversial from us. Um, The last thing we need is to get cancelled but uh, a little bit of cricket controversy around. How are you doing Callum? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. Yeah, there's been um, it's been a busy week in cricket, and yeah, there's mm-hmm. been some some unusual happenings. We'll call it. We'll call it. Yes, we'll get to those a little bit later on. But first, we'll start with Australia and India because there's no better no better way for Australia to warm up for the World Cup than to to spend the week in India. Uh, two games have occurred at the point of recording. The third one will be played tonight. It starts at eleven thirty. So once again, terrible timing for us. Um, but to the first game. Uh, very, it's been a high scoring series, really. So, um, 50 to KL Rahul and 71 to Hardik Pandya at the death there. Uh, Josh Hazelwood took a couple, but yeah, quite expensive. And Nathan Ellis was really the only bowler to, to get on top of India. Uh, he took three for 30 and, and unfortunately, uh, injured himself ahead of the second game. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> it was very high scoring, like you said. Um, Every every batter just decided to hit the ball very hard and hit the ball very hard. They did. Yes. Um, they were helped by what was probably a little, little bit of an easier pitch. It was kind of conducive to batting and that sort of thing. Um, but wickets did fall, so I suppose it was competitive enough. And um, yeah, Australia managed to chase down what was a pretty mighty total. Yeah, that's right. So Tim David and Matthew Wade at the end there. Uh, Wade with 45 from 21. I think we're going to talk about him a little bit later on. But Tim David made... I don't know, not a lot on a debut, 18, something like that. Uh, hit one down to long on when only, I think it was six was needed. So uh, he was trying to go big and, and and take the win, but didn't quite happen that way. Um, but the real the real story was Cameron Green, top of the order, 61 from 30. Uh, we both thought Israeli was going to put up one of these wicket keepers and, you know, put Cameron down at six or seven, something like that. But uh, that is not the case. I think Cam Green has just probably made himself a million dollars in the IPL overnight. Yeah, yeah, um, he, he'll definitely have some auction value now for sure. Um, yeah, being able to do that in India, no less. Um, you know, strike rate of over two hundred fifty showed good composure, chasing a pretty big total. Yep. Yeah, it was very impressive. Um, and he looked really comfortable, which um, mm-hmm. we don't see much of from Cam Green, so that's um, that's welcome, but a little surprising, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really good innings. Um, he he saw the ball really well. Um, he played spin and seam both decently well, and um, yeah, I guess um, I guess he's starting to starting to show us why he was selected as that specialty batter because he's he's pretty good when he's on. Yeah, his bowling definitely wasn't anything to write home about, but that batting was incredible. And as you said, he he did look a lot uh, more calm, more assured of himself at the crease, and I think that's we're just going to see more of that, and hopefully into the summer as well. Um, you know. Centuries will hopefully come if he can, he can you know knuckle down and, and stay at the crease a little bit longer. Um, onto the second game though, it was uh, a wet affair. It took uh, until we only got an eight hour game, eight over game in uh, a wet outfield was the issue. Um, no rain during the game, but you know I'm quite happy to get paid to sit around and not actually do any work for a couple of hours, so I'm happy to do that. Um, Aaron Finch lost the toss. Uh, he made up for it though, 31 from 15 with the bat at the top. I thought it was the kind of innings 
where, you know, he might actually play himself into form. You know, there's there's hardly any pressure in an eight-over game, right? It's it's go out there, hit the ball as hard as you can. And he did that pretty well. Yeah, honestly, he's looked pretty solid. I mean, he scored 22 off 13 in the first game, so that's not too bad. Um, probably a little less than he'd have been hoping, but it wasn't too bad. And, you know, he, he played aggressively, played attacking. And um, I think, as you've been saying for a while, his T20 has not dropped off. He's still, he's still a very sharp T20 opener and um yeah that innings you know uh, again strike rate over 200 um looked really good um unfortunately got pulled out by Boomerah, but you know these things happen um when you're trying to push the pace and push the tempo and that sort of thing because when you got eight overs you know you just got to do as much as you can um so yeah no nah, it's um 30s great in an eight over um in an eight over game um especially at the strike rate he did it and yeah it's um it's promising to see ahead of the uh the big tournament yeah, and the only guy that was better than Finch for the Aussies was Matthew Wade once again, 43 from 20, uh, not dismissed. Uh, just absolutely incredible. So some numbers here. He's averaging over 130 in the last 12, uh, 12 months. That goes up to 170 if you just take in 2022. Uh, has only been dismissed twice in his last, I think it's 14 innings, and is scoring at a strikeout of something like 180. And in India, obviously, that's that's been much higher. He's, um, look... 12 months ago, and even going into that World Cup, I wouldn't have taken Wade. I think he's proven everyone wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose um, I was going to call it T8. I guess it's E8. Um, I suppose it's a little bit like the 100. You know, oh, it's less balls. It's fine. I'll, I'll just, yeah. you know, do my thing. And um, did his thing he did. And, yeah, he's just – he's probably the sharpest, most explosive T20 cricketer in the world right now with the way – with the form that he's in and the way he, he you know – it was a team effort to win the first game, but it was a team effort starring Matthew Wade. And, you know, I think ultimately um, falling short in the second T20. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't on him. He played really well. Um, and, yeah, he's just he's proven that he's he's essential in the top order of um, the T20 team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't really worked from a domestic level. Uh, I think it, what it shows is that when you stick with someone, you give them a set role and you just let them, you know, go at that and know what they have to do every game. Um, they can dominate. And I think we've seen it with Tim David in T20 cricket. You know, he gets that number six role. He goes out and hits the ball and he does it really well. And I think Wade's kind of in the same boat there. Um, with the bowling, though, it was kind of a spinner's day. Uh, Axar Patel took uh, two. Zampa took three, so five wickets between them. They were the only two that went below 10 runs and over, though. The pace bowlers were, um, well, what can you say? They weren't great, but when batters are trying to score at 20 and over, like they are in an eight-over game, um, that's what you're going to get. Rohit Sharma is what broke the the back of that Aussie chase, though. Uh, he, he made 46 from 20, 20 of those coming in the first over. And, you know, once that run rate was below 10 and over, it, it was pretty much India's, India's win from the start. Yeah. The other thing I noticed with the, um, you know, the, the bowling, um, you wonder why Maxwell doesn't get some overs if spin's being so successful. Mm. Um, because they only went with um, Seamus and Zampa in the uh, in the E8 match. And um, yeah, it just it didn't really work out for them. The other thing is um, the reason Nathan Ellis was so successful in the first T20 is because he, he showed a good variety and the yeah. Indian batsmen weren't exactly sure what was coming. So sometimes he had some balls that were, you know, off and they, you know, punished it, but he had some balls that like kind of caught the players by surprise. And that that's kind of what led him to 
being quite effective three for 30 in that game. And yeah, it's just unfortunate that he had to be, he got injured at that during that as well, because yeah, he, his, his influence was um, quite, quite noticeable and um, it was noticeably missed in the second game. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, what the second game showed is the BCCI need to invest more in better groundskeeping. Um, it hadn't rained for something like four hours before the game started and we still had to wait another three until we could actually uh, get underway. Um, in the West, rest of the world, apart from maybe Bangladesh, um, that ground would have been cleaned up hours beforehand. They have India have the access to the funds to employ better groundskeepers, better techniques and better technology, and they just haven't done it. Um, and part of that we'll talk about a little bit later. And I think it's that they've got too many um, grounds that they use, like something like 50-odd grounds for T20 cricket. So um, a conversation for a little bit later, but I'll just touch on it now. The other thing to touch on, and this is taking from the grey cricket a little bit, uh, Aaron Finch's ultimate alpha moment. So when he was bowled, it was a full toss by Bulmer, um, and then he claps Bulmer on his way out. Um, just It kind of says, oh, well done, you're that good that you can get me out. Me, that's how good I am. Uh, <laughs> just a bit of an ultimate alpha from, from Finch there. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, it's quite a great, great cricket move. I, it was, it was probably his way of acknowledging that wasn't a good delivery. I just missed it. <laughs> um, so you know, a bit cheeky, but you know, you like to see a little bit of um, a little bit of competitive edge, and it makes makes cricket a little bit more interesting. So you know, fair enough. It wasn't wasn't over the line or anything. So you know, fun. Fair enough. Yeah, I think the wet ball was affecting a few of the bowlers quite a lot of low full tosses in that game. Um, there's one thing I want to look at before we move on, though, and that's Pat Cummins. Uh, so he took number 47 in the first game and then one for 23 in the second. Uh, that's, mind you, from only two overs. So going at more than more than 10 and over, um, the question's really, is he a good T20 bowler? And, you know, if Nathan Ellis is fit, is he a better choice? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Cummins more and more has become a test specialist, which is kind of funny because we were worried about his longevity in terms of bowling spells and that sort of thing. But since he's changed his action, it seems a lot more centered towards keep bowling the same delivery, keep putting pressure on that sort of thing. And in T20, when you see the same ball twice, you smack it the second time. And I think that's, um, that's what's happened to Cummins a bit in that format. Um, I think he can adjust, you know, he definitely has the talent to do so. It's just a matter of, um, getting in the right mindset for that format. And I'm just not sure if, if he's, he's got it right now, but I guess that's kind of the benefit of this series because he can get into that mindset and hopefully make a difference when it comes to the, uh, to the world cup. Yeah. I think in Australia, he should be fine, but I've done some digging, got some numbers out. So in the last couple of years, he's averaged 38 with the ball in T20 cricket um, and just taken eight wickets. That's in internationals. And then in the last IPL, he was obviously dropped after five games and that's because he was, uh, the the average was above 30 and the economy rate was almost 11 and over. So I think it might just be Indian conditions. Unfortunately, though, that's where a lot of white ball cricket's played these days. So you've got to be good uh, in those conditions. But for me, Nathan Ellis is um, just absolutely incredible. And he's not obviously not as quick as Cummins, but he really is. A, he's a T20 specialist, right? Those slower balls, the variety you were talking about earlier, it, uh, it just makes a massive difference, especially in international cricket where, um, you know, you've got so much time to prepare for these guys where you don't necessarily have that in a domestic tournament. Um, move on a little bit, though. Uh, the listeners will already know what has happened, but we'll do a prediction anyway. They can tell us if we're wrong. Um, what do you think we're going to see tonight in game three? Um, hopefully a full game. That's yeah, my cool. prediction. Full game. Um, no. um, look, I think um, 
India are a very heavy momentum team and they'll feel they've got momentum going into it. So I think I think they'll they'll be disappointed if they don't win this one. Um, so I think they'll win it, but I think it will be competitive because the Australians look in good spirits and they've played well in the two T20s. So, you know, um, I, I'd be surprised if they collapsed or anything like that. Yeah, so for me, it all comes down to the toss. Uh, Australia's won 14 of their last 18 tosses and no surprise, the World Cup's included in there. Um, and that's part of why Australia has been so good at T20 cricket. Aaron Finch somehow manages to win tosses. I think he should probably go to the casino and make some cash out of that. But uh, yeah, I think that's like if Australia bat second, they'll probably win. And, and that'll be good. It'll be just good to see Cameron Green open the batting again. And hopefully Tim David can get a few more balls to face and, and really show the world what he's about. Move on, though. A little bit closer to home. And that is domestic cricket. The summer has officially kicked off. Uh, the first game came a few days ago. I think that was the Friday where Victoria uh, won thanks. Well, a bit of controversy about this one as well, really. But there was a century to Dan Hughes in the first innings. He averages something like 60 in list day cricket. Um, doesn't quite do it at the strike rate of, you know, the guys that are already in the Australian team, but has just been a consistent performer for, for New South Wales. And is someone I think will look back on and think, how did he not play a game for Australia? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dan Hughes has been like the one-day stalwart for New South Wales. And he's had to be because the amount of New South Wales players that get put into the international team. And um, he's done a really admirable job of it. He's a good leader. Um, he plays well in the limited over f- formats and he's not too bad in um, Red Bull either. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, just yeah, it's unfortunate. He's he's a good player at the wrong time. And that's often the situation of a lot of things. And we're going to talk about another player who's very much like that a bit later on. Yeah, so, and then in the in the second innings, Will Pekofsky hit, a, hit 60-odd before he essentially like just tapped one through the keeper. The first bad shot he'd played all day. Um, he's, he's in really good form, it looks like, which is good to see. But the controversy came a little bit later on. Pete Hanscom was at the crease. And while there was a little bit of rain about, it was getting quite dark. Uh, Victoria was behind on the DLS stakes. They decided, no, we're going to stay on as long as possible. We want to face these New South Wales spinners. Then it comes down to what was eventually the last ball of the game. Matt Short is on strike. He smashes a six. And uh, it just puts Victoria ahead. And then Pete Hansen says, that's enough. We'll go off now. And Victoria wins. So uh, some, I guess some luck from Victoria. Luck, yeah. Some tactics, yeah. Bit of that. Um, I think it's telling that the player of the match was Daniel Hughes. Um, but, you know, um, if you're playing to DLS, then, you know, you, you have to try and be smart about it. And Pete Hanscom was very smart about it. So, you know doing whatever it takes to win. He, he went and did that. You know, think of it what you will. He, he got the result he wanted. Yeah, no, good call. Huh? Typical New South Wales crying over the result. Um, and, you know, Victoria get a win at home, which is a good way to start their season. I'm on to the women's games. They've been playing a lot more. Uh, I think they've had six or seven games up to this point. And there's been a lot of centuries, but not for the AC2, who in their first innings got five ducks. Um, pretty disappointing stuff. From then, but onto the centuries. Tali McGrath, 111 from 111. Elise Perry, 117 from 143. Annabelle Sutherland, 110 from 101. And then Georgia Vol, 145 from 161. So a lot of good work from the uh, the pace bowling all around us there. And then today, as we speak, the game between WA and the ACT, Beth Mooney struck 151 from 140. Once again, proving that having Beth Mooney on your team is cheating and uh, should be punishable. A very good start to the season for the batters, it looks like. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, a little disappointing, I suppose, because um, really only one game has been competitive, yeah. and that was the uh, the South Australia Victoria game, um, and we had three centuries in that one. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see. Um, the pitches look fine. The pitches don't look anything concerning or anything like that, and I think it's just um, particular batsmen with point to prove have gone out there and proven their point it's just happened that they've all done it at once (laughs) um so i don't think it'll necessarily be an issue of it'll be too bat dominated or anything and i don't think it really was i mean south australia chased down 264 but they were seven down when they did it so you know and three balls remaining so it was very close very competitive and um yeah there hasn't been a lack of wicket taking you know so i think i think there's a good good battle between bat and ball which is exactly what you want in domestic cricket and yeah, I mean, congratulations to the uh, to the folks who who hit their centuries. Yeah, I think it shows. I don't know, a golfing talent like the names I've read out there: McGrath, Perry, Sutherland, Vole, and Mo- and Mooney. Apart from Vole, they're all you know top level Australian superstars, right? So you would expect them to come back and hit centuries, just as you would if Steve Smith or David Warner came back and played in in the Marsh Cup. So not really any surprises there. There's a couple of innings I want to highlight though. And that's Elise Perry. You spoke about proving a point. And I think the point has once again been proved that she just bats too slowly. So 117 from 143, um, you know, they finished their innings three down. It's just not, it wasn't quick enough, really. Um, she needs to be able to accelerate, uh, to, especially towards the end of the innings. I know the criticisms has been mostly T20 cricket, but if you can't get to 300 when you're only three down in a 50 over game, it's just not going to win your games. What's interesting is it looked like it was a decent pace as she was going because, you know, Blows was 23 off 52, had a pretty rough time. Molyneux got out, duck for, you know, five. Um, And then Sutherland came out and Sutherland kind of played the way that people have been wanting Elise Perry to play. So I think that's kind of not favoured her very well. Because she ended up on a strike rate of 81, Sutherland finished on a strike rate of 108 and had very similar scores, and Sutherland was out there for nowhere near as long. So that's kind of that's kind of what's brought the criticism back up. But I think in light of the of you know the batting innings the Victorians had, I think it was still a good innings. And I think, you know, Elise Perry can take as much time as she wants if she's scoring hundreds. I don't think it's too too big of a too big of a worry. You know, if she's if she's not getting out cheaply, if she's you know playing good shots. Eighty um, is not too bad at um at one day level, and um, I think it's just just that as you mentioned that idea of being able to accelerate, which we haven't seen so much. And I think when it gets when Victoria has some chasing innings that's when she probably needs to try and prove it and prove that she's able to do, do that kind of role. Yeah, I, I agree there. When she, as long as she's scoring centuries, there's no real issue. Um, I'll bring in Harmanpreet Kaur here, though. So she hit 100 for India against England a few days ago. She brought up 100 off exactly 100 balls, and then her last 11 she hit 43 from. Um, that's the kind of thing you need to be seeing from Elise Perry and, and all of these players, really. You need to be able to accelerate once you hit that milestone and, you know, really put the game beyond doubt, which is not what Victoria did, right? Because Tali McGrath, as we're speaking about now, came in and, uh, look, it wasn't easy. She needed 15 off the last over and, and brought it up with three sixes in a row. But um, when you've got someone in the opposition that can do that, you need people in your team that can do the same thing. Yeah. And I guess Victoria will feel that that's the role Sutherland has. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. And I think, you know, the Australian team has players that can do that big hitting role as well, Healy or um, McGrath herself, right? So there's there's definitely options there. Um, on the bowling side, only one real standout performance, and that is the leg spin of Alana King against the ACT, five for 12 from eight overs. Incredible figures in a, in a one-day game. Yeah, unfortunate for your folks. Um, she came in kind of in middling form. She had she had an an uh, interesting end to her hundred. Um, wasn't as strong as she'd had been earlier in the tournament, but she she came back. Um, she's she was great in Australia. Um, and yeah, she proved that her wrist spin is very dangerous and um took down some very uh, formidable formidable bats. Um, with her with her bowling and yeah, just really disciplined, really economical and you know. It gets to the point with Alana King where every delivery you think, oh God, is this going to be a wicket? And that's 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 the sign of an elite spin bowler. And you really like to see it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you get from Shane Warne in, in when he's in really good uh, form or Nathan Lyon, the same thing. You know, that every ball, it looks like a wicket come. The wicket obviously doesn't come every ball, but everything looks dangerous uh, and it's impossible for the batters to score as we saw in that game. Um yeah, still a lot of cricket to come. Uh, the WBBL is also not too far off either, so we'll bring you some of that content as that as that goes forward. Uh, we'll move on, though. The ICC sent emails out this week about a bunch of rule changes. Um, the first one we'll go through is the ManCAD. Um, so they've moved the ManCAD essentially from unfair play to the run-out section, which essentially gives it the green light for, for anyone to use, and India did that. Last night, I think we all woke up and, and saw that uh, the man cat is trending once again. So uh, Deepthi Sharma ran out Charlie Dean at the non-strikers and, uh, I don't know, Twitter abuse ensued. Yep, yep. There was a lot of um, not very civil things said on both sides of the argument there. Um, look, I think just seeing how upset the England team was afterwards, you know, you kind of feel like that's kind of dirty, you know, but... I guess if it's within the rules of the game, then it's something that you can do and it's something that you need to be aware of as a non-striker. So, you know, um, I was always paranoid about it when I played as a kid because um, the, the the other people I played with have no shame. It was man cats left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, so I always made sure to keep my bat in my crease. And um, I was at the non-strikers end a lot because I wasn't very good at batting. So, you know, it was an important role to fill. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's unfortunate that that's kind of how it ended. Um, but, you know, if you see it as like something that happened earlier in the innings, you wouldn't necessarily see it as something that's affected the uh, the outcome of the game. And um, Harman Creek Core said after the game, she said, well, what about the other nine wickets we took? And, you know, what about the team effort that got us through this, this you know, this game? Which I think is valid, but, you know, I personally wouldn't do it if I was bowling. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's the argument, right? Like everyone says, oh, I wouldn't do it, but I'm in, I'm in favour of it, right? And, you know, I come out in the same, the same spot there. Like I wouldn't do it. That's mostly just because I don't want the blowback from it happening. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see an issue with it, right? Like it's not that hard to stay in your crease. Um, just watch what the bowler's doing. Make sure you're not going too far out. I believe Charlie Dean was warned something like three times in the innings about it as well. So it's not like it came out of nowhere. Um and yes, you got to do whatever it takes to win, right? We mentioned it with Pete Hanscom before, and and that's what's happened here. So no issues from me, um, man, cattle, you like. So let's just not go over the top to the point where you're running in 
four or five times and over and doing it, that it's just going to firstly be time wasting, but also, yeah, just not a good look for the game. Um, the other one that came out from the ICC that, that I was not really aware of as a rule is that you can, if you're a bowler, you can no longer throw to the striker's end if they're running down the crease. So previously uh, you could kind of do a man cat at the striker's end and, and try to throw down the stumps. If they're charging you, that's apparently not allowed. Um, I didn't even know that was a rule before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess that's something you see a lot of in test cricket, you know, when they get frustrated with somebody who's defending a lot, they just, you know, toss it at the stumps um, just to try and, you know, unsettle them and that sort of thing. Um, I guess that's a mental kind of thing of the game, but it could be seen as an intimidation tactic. So I kind of understand, yeah. you know, both sides of that argument. And um, yeah, look, you don't want unnecessary aggression on the cricket field. So I, I respect that decision. Yeah. Uh, the other one, is this was brought in for the IPL and now they've just continued it for the ICC. Um, when a catch occurs, the new batter just goes to strikers and thankfully for club cricket, there's no more worrying about if the batters have crossed, you don't have to worry about it anymore. New batter, just the strikers end, which will be good for more than anything, I think, attempts at hat-tricks if you want to take out the lower order rather than the set batsman at the non-strikers end. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that seems reasonable. It's also like, you know, Sometimes you're like, oh, did they cross? Did they not cross? And exactly. you know, it's it's it, there's a bit of bit of obscuring and a bit of bit of a tainted results at the end. They go, oh, well, actually, I crossed and I wouldn't have gotten out to that that next ball or whatever, something like that. Um, so yeah, it, it just takes that out of it and um, makes it very clear. You know, when caught, next batter, next batter up, makes sense. Yeah, I've once seen the non-striker batter try to dive halfway down the pitch to make sure they could get past the, the other batter in a in a in a catching situation. Uh, that's that's junk time stuff. Um, the saliva ban has been continued. Can't use saliva on the ball. That's completely gone. Um, kind of makes sense. A bit bit gross, really, that we're ever doing that. Uh, when you think about it, um, you can now get two minutes to face up when batting. Uh, just get the mo- game moving a bit quicker. Makes complete sense there. Uh, but the big one is that batters now must stay within the pitch when facing the ball. So essentially what they're trying to do here is stop, you know, ramp shots that are moving from the stumps over to the offside or the leg side. Um, reverse sweeps could also be affected here. Uh, really just trying to, I don't know, keep the batters within that lane there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how that is umpired. Um, because, you know, if you if you... If Glenn Maxwell got in trouble for hitting a slog reverse sweep, you'd be pretty, pretty. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's something that's got to be taken in caution. Um, but you know, it's 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 the recommendation of you know, it, it's not a, it's not the, the reason football players get sent off, like soccer football, um, is because they make an unsportsmanlike play. And I suppose if it's not a cricketing play, if it's off outside of the pitch, then that makes some sense as well. But I think that needs to be, you know, called with caution and called within reason. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully what it's going to stop also is bowlers bowling, you know, like super wide balls towards the end of the innings. That's also quite frustrating to watch. Uh, the last couple of changes are fielding-based ones, um, unfair movement from the fielders. So essentially you can't move left or right, only up and down as the ball's coming in. Um, that'll result in five penalty runs if, if that's caught. And the other one, is if uh, a fielder's a fielder will be brought into the circle in T20s if the bowling team is late on their overs. So uh, a rule we've seen in a bunch of different competitions, mostly in England, I think was big in the hundred. So um, a lot of changes there. They all come into effect on October one, so not too long next week um, for the for the umpires to get their heads around those ones. 
the question is, though, what rule change would you like to see in cricket if you could see any rule change? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oh, th- th- There's a few rules that feel odd. Um, I guess very often, and I don't really know how you'd be able to police this, but very often leg side wides are very close to the stumps, but they're still automatically leg side wides. I, I think I'd like that to be changed. Okay, so just uh, moving the guidelines out a little bit further on the leg side makes makes some sense, I guess, especially in T20s, if batters are moving like they do. Um, for me, though, I'm just going to get rid of the full toss. I think the full toss is unfair. Um, you know, as a batter, when you're facing down, what you're expecting is the ball to come down, it's going to bounce, and then you're going to play it that way. The full toss is always a surprise for a batter, whether they hit it for six or not. Um, yeah, I, I would just get rid of it, no ball, and then... Uh, you know, get a free hit afterwards, more to the batters. Um, the other changes we've seen this week in the game, uh, the county cricket changes have been unveiled. These are the recommendations by Andrew Strauss in that, that investigation. Um, these aren't necessarily going to come in. They need to be voted in by the, the, the 18 counties. But uh, it looks like their 50-over tournaments can be moved right to the start of the summer, exactly the same as Australia's is. And then the county championship will be reduced from 14 games down to 10 uh, to kind of reduce the burden on players uh, and have that all played, bef- or most of it played before the 100 starts. And once again, it's the 100 that's really the, the issue. Like, it's, it's where the, the traditional fans are not very happy. Yeah. I mean, the recommendations make enough sense. Um, it's just interesting to think, like, will they run it through, like, divisions of nine or what, what they'll, they'll do there if they do choose to, um, to implement that. Um, but I understand um, spacing out the uh, the season a bit. You know, I think I think it helps domestic cricketers a lot when they're developing um, to have okay, it's one day time. Okay, cool. Now it's now it's test cricket time, or you know, unlimited overs time. And then you know, getting the mindset of if you if you get picked to play in the hundred, you know, get the mindset of you know, batting hard, that sort of thing. And I think um, I think it's sensible. Um, I think. You know, we talk about scheduling a lot on this on this podcast, funny enough. And um, I think anything that that helps helps manage it is is good. Yeah, absolutely. I th- so essentially what they've done here is and just adopted the Australian model, right? You play your first class matches before the Big Bash in Australia, and then you play some afterwards as well. And that's essentially what they're doing. Um, with this, there's also going to be some Red Bull games during the 100 for the, the players that don't play in the 100, but are also good Red Bull players. I don't really know how that's going to work out because, you know, the best test players, your Joe Roots and stuff, they're going to play in the 100. Ben Stokes will be in the 100. Um, so it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But anything that that, uh, that fixes English cricket would be good. I don't think playing 14 games is necessary, right? Like more cricket, it's been proven that more cricket does not necessarily make you a better player. So in Australia, it's 10 games. Uh, in India, the Ranji Trophy is three group games and then finals. Like you don't have to play more cricket to be good at cricket, right? So do you think this is going to improve English cricket at all or are there are there bigger issues there? Um, I don't know if it'll improve it um, just because there's a lot of counties and it, there's a lot of very unbalanced teams. Yep. And I think that's something that needs to be changed. So maybe if they condense it a bit and have like major counties like Lancashire, Yorkshire, that sort of thing, then maybe it would be a little bit easier. But I know that there would be traditional fans who who were insulted by that and that sort of thing. And then how would you manage, you know, where home games are played and that sort of thing if it covers a broader area? 
Um, but yeah, my opinion is if, if you want to fix English domestic cricket, that's probably the step you need to take. Yeah, I think that English cricket's kind of in the same spot as the AFL is. Stick with me here. Um, so when the AFL became like a well, an Australian-wide competition, obviously too many teams in Melbourne, right? And they've kind of got the same issue in English cricket where there's too many traditional teams and they're just like, you know, they're taking all that talent and it's spread too thin, right? I don't know how much of the, the scores you saw from this week, but there was teams bowled out for 57. I think Essex was bowled at 57 a couple of times. Um like Kent was bowled out for under a hundred. Like you can't convince me that guys bowling with the keeper up at the stumps, just nibbling around is going to prepare anyone for test cricket. Uh, That's just not how it works, but we'll move on though to six and out everyone's favorite uh, segment of the show. Uh, We'll start off with some T20 stuff. Has Australia missed a serious trick by not including Cam Green in the world cup squad? Maybe, but it makes, the decision not to makes a lot of sense. It's just unfortunate timing that he's decided that he's a great T20 player. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that, that he is that kind of player. He can just decide, actually, yeah, I'm good at this, and then <laughs> go and do it. Um, it's it's quite remarkable in terms of talent and that sort of thing. Um, so, no, I don't think they've missed a trick. Um, I think they've just gotten unlucky. <laughs> All right. Um, my first question is... Is it more exciting when it's shorter in international cricket? Like E8, is that, is, that the, is that the way of the future? Is the 100 the way of the future? What, what do you think of that? Um, exciting, yes. I'm like, I think that hitting sixes and boundaries and people bowling fast, taking wickets all more condensed is more exciting. Do I think it's better? Not necessarily. So a test match is good, not because it's exciting, because of the overall context of a series, the overall context of five days of play, that attritional uh, workload to mentally disintegrate your opponents and, you know, to bat out an innings of 100 in 400 balls or whatever. That's that's what's exciting um, in that sense. But, you know, in a, in a, you know, competing with Netflix and that kind of thing that cricket has to do now, right? You've got to compete with Netflix. You've got to compete with, with video games, everything. It's just another form of entertainment. And I think, you know, that's where that shorter shorter format excitement is. Of course, there is a balance, and I think T20 cricket's kind of nailed it um, in terms of, of time and, and that kind of thing. Um, ahead of the Australian Test summer, who do you think is going to be Australian Australian males' next uh, Test debutant? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I need to think about who hasn't made debut. Um Look, honestly, um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, someone listened to our podcast and decide, um, Daniel Hughes, it's your time. <laughs> um, that's not necessarily my answer, but um, I think with Australian summer test, test cricket, they like to experiment with fast bowlers. Um, so I wouldn't be able to tell you which one, but maybe maybe Wes Ager, I don't know, something like that, um, be given a go just for one test and just see how they go. You know, Jackson Bird has played test cricket. So, you know, when you have home tests, you, you like to experiment a little bit, and that's probably often where Australia experiment. All right. Um, my next question is, do you believe the DLS method or do you think there's flaws in it? Uh, I haven't investigated it enough. The math is way too difficult for me to figure out. Uh, but over, I think it makes sense, right? As long as there's a system where um, the players know what they need to do while they're on the field, then I've got no issue with it. Um, 
Like, obviously, I'd be taking that kind of bad light situation like we saw with Victoria out of the players' hands, and that's just up to the umpires. But um, as long as the yeah, as the as long as the players know this is how many runs I need to get off this many balls, um, and then depending on wickets, of course, then yeah, I've got no issues at all. Does India have too many T20 grounds? So currently it's 24 active grounds. And in the past, they've used 28 uh, overall. So that's above 50. Yes, that's too many. Um, it's just a lot of travel and a lot of getting used to different conditions and that sort of thing. And, you know, like you said, um, getting getting good groundskeeping and that sort of thing. I mean, sure, India has a greater population than a lot of other cricket hosting nations but you know it it takes it takes a lot of um practice and experience to be you know a great wicket curator and that sort of thing and if you have so many venues you're spread a bit thin and um it's just yeah it's not quite enough i think i think just with with the idea of venues as long as they're in you know major enough urban locations and as long as the stadiums are getting filled up then i guess that's good but Perhaps, perhaps there's too much for um, India to cater for in respect to um, like the amount of fans they have. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they just need to, yeah, invest in the bigger grounds and really uh, make those those skills and that technology uh, much better. And you know, to be able to get on the ground when it's not raining. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. Um, my last question is, so with, um, with, um, some of the games in the, uh, in the WNCL not being very competitive, um, how would you fix perhaps like Australian women's domestic cricket to make it more competitive and therefore more engaging? Right. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything you can really do unless it was to move players around or have a system where you can't have like any more than say three current national players at a time. And then you spread them around the states, um, but apart from that, like we've seen, New South Wales absolutely dominate for well since the WNCL came into uh, came into the system. So yeah, I'm not really sure there's there's much you can do there to make the games more competitive. Um, I think just what we're seeing now is it's the start of the season. The curators are really trying to get the pitches to last uh, a long period. Um, there's obviously a T20 World Cup happening as well, and that means there's also going to be a lot of more cricket on you know Karen Rolton Oval or on the Wacker, for instance. So I think that's that's all part of it. But overall, I think not every game is going to be competitive and we're going to see that in, in the men's competition as well. Um, I'm sure South Australia has to play some games at some point and they'll get blown out. So uh, there's, there's no real issue there for me. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the, to the last segment of the show. Uh, a little bit of everything in this one. The first thing I wanted to touch on, though, is Pakistan and England. They're obviously playing that seven-match T20 series which seems like it's going for about six months. Um, the first thing, though, was Mark Wood bowled ridiculously fast the other night. He hit 157, was his fastest, and the entire over was above 150. Just uh, obviously the quickest bowler in the world at the moment. Yeah, if you ever ask, um, ever find yourself asking who would bowl the fastest in the world, Jesus. Mark Wood would. <laughs> something, something about the Woods, actually, in regards to English cricket. Um mm. Luke Wood had a pretty good um had a pretty good uh, game in um one of the uh, T20s and um yeah it's just ever since Mark Wood's kind of had this long period of not being injured he's gotten faster and faster and I think 
he's really focused on being accurate and fast. And I think that's really, really shown. And, um, you know, con- congratulations to him to be able to get it at that pace and at that level. You know, it's, it's almost impossible to compete with. Yeah, so four more kilometers an hour and he'll break the record. Um, do you think he can get there? Um, maybe. Sure. Why not? I, I like the idea of having an active player that's able to, to maybe hit that record. Yeah, the, I, I know England play a game at Optus Stadium during the World Cup. Uh, I think that could be the place, a nice, nice bouncy pitch. The other thing to touch on with the bowling of Pakistan is that the speed gun is showing uh, both the speed out of the hand and then the speed when it reaches the bat, reaches the batsman. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. It, it really like we've heard the term heavy ball before, and I, what that essentially is is that the bowler doesn't lose as much pace when it hits the bat, and this is kind of what it's measuring. And you know, more data is never a bad thing. You know, I think it's great. Um, you know, we, we see a lot about like batter's launch speed and exit velocity and stuff like that. So I think it's logical to see like kind of how fast it is when it gets to the batter, you know, how far out in their crease they are as well kind of contributes to that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good way to put into perspective kind of what the batsmen are facing. Cause a lot of people go, Oh, I would have hit that. Well, would you have? <laughs> no, it's always the answer. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in the three games so far, England's leading two one. Um, Pakistan's only win came in the second game where uh, they chased down 203 without loss. Just incredible. But uh, they haven't really continued to do that so far. Um, England made 221 for three in that, in that final game and the third one uh, with Ben Duckett and Harry Brook both made like, very quick half centuries. I think Harry Brook finished on 80 at better than two runs a ball. So I don't know, just some of the best hitting I've seen in a long time and not necessarily that brutal hitting that we'd associate with, with some of England's players. Yeah. Harry Brooks been excellent. He's um, been a great addition to the team and um, he's um, yeah, he looks in really good form. Um, he plays really just really nice shots, just the right, right shot for whatever delivery he's given. And I think that's definitely a unique gift to have, especially in T20. Cause as you said, there's a few kind of just brute players who just, you know, might not even be a good ball to hit, but they hit it so hard that it'll go over the fence anyways. Um, so I think with Brooke, it's about it's about that technique and it's about that decision making. It's very advanced, and um, he's going to be going to be kind of a kind of a dark horse X factor when it comes to the T Twenty World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's definitely like he's England's next uh, next cab off the rank in terms of superstars, and he's going to looks like he's going to play all three formats as well. So um, really exciting to watch. Uh, whether he gets a gig in the T20 World Cup, we don't know, though. Josh Butler, uh, Ben Stokes still have to come back. So there's there's plenty of batting still there. Liam Livingston's also not in Pakistan. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of players to watch out for. Um, we'll move on, though. In India, everyone's trying to book tickets for this uh, final T20. I had 20 people were injured in kind of a stampede there. Um, obviously not something that we have to deal with in Australia. You know, Ticketmaster takes care of that. But uh, not obviously not a great system and just not good enough from the BCCI to not have security in really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's difficult. Yeah. And when um fans frenzy like that, it's really scary, really dangerous. And, um, you know, you've seen it in, in popular culture and that sort of thing, that kind of thing happening. And then, you know, when it happens, you think about accountability and um, yeah, I guess it ultimately does come down to BCCI. They need to have better facilities when it comes to those sort of things. They need to be very clear about this, how many tickets are available. You can queue here. Etc. 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 And that's obviously not what happened. 
yeah. Uh, thank look, 20 people injured. Thankfully, nothing um, too bad, but still not great to see. Um, the other news that we touched on a few weeks ago when James Patterson retired from uh, county cricket, or at least left Nottingham early, um, that's developed further and he's retired from playing for Victoria. So after 350 first-class wickets, uh, 81 test wickets, um, and you know a bunch of runs as well, he's he's given up. Um, but at 31 or whatever, 32, something like that, his body just can't do it anymore. It can't bowl fast. And um, unfortunately, it has to come to an end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, it's especially tough because you think of that age, you think, oh, it's not too old, you know, like um, Stark's 30, that sort of thing. He's still bowling really fast. Um, but you know, the injuries Pattinson has been through and just kind of kind of the the mental turmoil he's had to navigate through throughout his career has yeah. obviously worn on him. And it's at the point where, you know, it makes sense that he's just got to take a step back. And um, I mean, he may not necessarily be completely done, but you know, it kind of it kind of looks it kind of looks that way. It's looking more and more like he's 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 calling it and um you know, that's fine. You can respect that decision. And it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate. One of the most unfortunate what-ifs in um, Australian cricket, I'd say. Yeah, I'd love to see him take the summer off um, and then come back as a T20 player. Um, there's a lot of money to be made in that circuit, especially for guys that can bowl 145-plus as Pattinson can. So maybe get the body right, come back and do that. That's certainly an option. But for now, uh, that's over and it's going to give Victoria... Uh, a bit of a headache, you know. There's a lot of young pace bowlers, Brody Couch, that kind of thing, Mitch Perry, um, but you know, no one really experienced in that in that Victorian squad anymore um, after Peter Settle left to Tasmania. Um, the other news that came out: the Ashes schedule has come out, both men's and women's for 2023. Um, and the big news: the women's Ashes test, five days. How good? Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's going to be great. I'm um, I'm really happy about that news um shame it's only one test but you know yeah. it's, it's good it's progress and that's that's what we want to see yeah and even better it's it's got its own window um it's going to start two days after the first men's test and then it'll it'll conclude a couple of days before the second one so um all eyes on on that game from nottingham and hopefully it's, it's a good one and hopefully uh they'll be able to use all five days and there won't be too much rain around uh in the early english summer uh, the last one to look at is the Legends Cricket League uh, or the Road Safety World Series, as it's called. Um, essentially, it's to pay uh, Indian businessmen, pay former cricketers to come over, um, take some photos with them, and then they play cricket while uh, raising awareness for road safety. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Um, I haven't found it very interesting in the little bits that I've watched. But it's fine. And, um, you know, it definitely caters to, to you know, a level of fans. And that's nice. You know, it's good to see those old players and see what they're doing now and, you know, who, who still has it and who's maybe fallen off a bit more. And, um, yeah, you know, it's a good good message to promote. And, um, yeah, I don't mind it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. The, the main draw card is, of course, Sachin Tandorka, who's playing for the Indian team. Um, good to see him out playing cricket again, I guess. And that's kind of, the, you know, the big draw card of it. Obviously, he faced six balls from Elise Perry while I was in Australia uh, for that fundraising thing. Um, they all had to be back of a length because he was too scared to get out to a woman. But we, that's not allowed to be talked about. Um, the guys in the Australian squad, Shane Watson's there, um, Stuart Clark, Alex Dillon, Ben Dunk, Callum Ferguson, Brad Haddon, John Hastings, uh, Brad Hodge, Jason Crazier, Brett Lee, uh, Bryce McGain, Dirk Nannis, Nathan Reardon, Chad Sayers, Cameron White, and the last one, uh, George Hall and Smith. 
George Holland Smith is a former Gold Coast and Geelong AFL footballer. I don't know how he made the squad, <laughs> but good on him. Um, the guys that have performed well, it, honestly, it's it's basically just the people who perform well are the younger guys that are either still playing or haven't retired yet. Like Nathan Ridden, 46 from 18. He's literally still playing. So, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense this series, but I'm sure it's making someone some money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's probably good fun to be a part of. So, um, oh, I'm sure know. it's paying some bills. <laughs> yes, that's that's probably also a motivation towards it. Um, but yeah, you know, if you can if you can perform well in a legends league, then then you're the legend of legends, right? You know, that's yeah. a good 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 uh, moniker to have. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know. I think we're we're seeing more and more of these series. There's another one on India at the moment called the Legends League. Um, the players' names aren't as big. I think Hamilton Madzakadz is opening the batting um, for one of the teams. There's a couple of Australians over there, but I don't know. It seems like there's plenty of money made on the circuit for retired players um, coming back and playing cricket. So maybe that's the option for James Pattinson uh, down the line. Um, That's where we'll wrap things up for the podcast this week. Plenty of controversy uh, and plenty of action. And thankfully, there's going to be more and more cricket as we get into the summer. So more and more to talk about. Callum, where can the folks find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Beautiful. You find me at Rory underscore Dennis. I'll be working on that T20. Well, tonight, tomorrow, I guess, when you listen to it, doesn't make much sense for you guys. Um, you can find the podcast on all social media at the Top Edge Podcast, Edge of the Crowd. You can find everywhere at Edge of the Crowd, no surprise. And the website is edgeofthecrowd.com. Really difficult domain to get. Uh, uh, we'll call an end to the podcast, though. Make sure you give it a, a rating and a review on all, all of the best uh podcast apps and we'll see you all next week for episode 13.